0: Welcome back to Good Morning Jerusalem, where the hits just keep on coming. This is Jehoshaphat, and now my favorite part of the program, Save Your Sightings. And we have a gentleman today that believes he actually had the Messiah in his home. Sir. Yes, my name is Cliff Orissus. Uh, so Jesus came to my house. He comes in and he says, uh, I'd like to talk to some people and use your home to uh-huh. do it. I, 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 I'm very, very nervous when it comes to germs. Yeah. And I had just had my carpet shampooed <laughs> the week before. And I was very nervous because the man has quite a following. And so all these people are tracking goat mess in my house. Really? A people brought in their lambs and sheep. Uh, one guy had a parrot. And that parrot did more damage than I can tell you. Really? But the biggest problem was the place got pretty full pretty quickly. Yeah, I got And it. these guys came when they had a friend who was paralyzed. They asked if they could come in, and I said, sure, could you wait five seconds because some people will be leaving soon. Okay. But they were so impatient that they that they walked around to the other side of my house, climbed up on the roof, and started tearing my roof apart. Really? So we're sitting in the, in the living room, and all of a sudden <laughs> plaster starts falling on my head. Wow. The track lighting fell down. Yeah. They cut a hole in my thatch roof, and they lowered the man into my living room and i'm uh, like you could have waited five minutes five <laughs> minutes is all i asked now, who's gonna pay for my roof that's what i want to know uh-huh. who's gonna pay for my roof right. i spoke to Jesus' disciples and i said um i don't mean to seem ungrateful or in any way um petulant but uh do you guys have an expense account or are you insured at all yep so i was directed to their minister of finance his name is mr iscariot okay. i think his first name is judas and he said to me, I should be coming into some cash very soon. Really? And I don't know where he's going to get the money from, but that's going to cost at least 30 shekels to fix my roof. Yeah, I got it. I guess it's a good thing because the paralyzed man was able to walk. Mm-hmm. Believe me, I'm very happy for him. Okay. I'm just hoping that the restitution is made because it's it's cold in my thank house. Thank you, thank now. you, it's thanks drafty. very much. You can read all about it on Cliff's blog, who's going to pay for com, or you can donate at kickstarter.com slash fixmyroof. We'll be right back with more Savior Sightings.
1: Oh, there you go. But you didn't know all that was there in the, uh, in the Bible, the parrot and everything. I don't know what I like better the, uh, the parrot or uh, the reference to uh, Judas as the, uh, as the minister of finance there. Very, very, very good. Appreciate those guys. But they did take a little bit, obviously, of creative license with that story. So I want to spend some time this morning looking at the real story of what happened uh, when Jesus was in this house and some guys brought their friend and cut a hole in the roof and dropped him down uh, in front of Jesus. And this story is actually recorded in three of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this story. And I want to look at Mark's version. And uh, Mark was a guy who was actually uh, friends with Peter. Mark wasn't one of Jesus' initial disciples he was friends with Peter who was one of kind of the the inner circle of Jesus disciples there were twelve disciples then there was this inner circle of of three Peter James and John and Mark probably got his information for his gospel of Jesus or his biography of Jesus he probably got it from Peter which is actually kinda interesting in this particular situation because uh, scholars think that the house where uh, Jesus was speaking was not Clipharisus' house, I'm sorry, that was, you know, uh, not quite there. It was probably Peter's house there up in Capernaum. So I want to take a look at this, uh, at this story and look at some of the details there and, and some of the ideas as to, as to how uh, we can apply this to our lives. So taking a look at Mark chapter 2 and starting in verse 1. A few, days later, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So if you're not uh, familiar with the geography of Israel at that time, Capernaum is a town on the northern shore of the Lake of Galilee, so it's pretty much as far north in Israel as you could go. And it talks about, uh, Mark mentions that Jesus was returning home. Jesus was from Nazareth, which is much further south but he spent so much time up in Capernaum, it was kind of like his northern base of operations, that the people there considered him to be one of them. And Peter and Andrew, two of Jesus' disciples, were from Capernaum, so a lot of people think that Jesus would spend time in their home, and that's probably where he was at, at this point. And so the whole town, they knew about Jesus, they were familiar with him, they liked him, they hear he's in town. They hear he's hanging out at Peter's house. So they decide that they're going to come and they're going to hear what he has to say. And it's, it's this scene, you, you just kinda, kind of imagine this for a second. It's like standing room only. Everybody's crowded around the house. People are probably sitting in the windows looking in. There's people hanging out the door trying to hear everything that Jesus is saying. And there's this energy, there's this excitement as Jesus is in town and he's speaking to the people. So then verse 3, some men came, they're bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat that the man was lying on. And again, put yourself in this scene. There's this crowd, it may be hot, there's all these people there, and all of a sudden these four guys, carrying another man on a stretcher, start pushing and shoving, trying to get through the crowd, and they can't make their way into the door. And in that day and age, uh, in that part of, of the world, most of the houses had flat roofs, uh, and they had ladders that would go up to the roof, and people would hang out up there, maybe during the evening when it's a little bit cooler. And if you live in, in New York City, you know that in some of the apartment buildings, you can climb up to the roof, and you can hang out there and look out over the city and enjoy the evening breeze. And that's what people would do uh, back in those days. So these guys decide to take advantage of the ladder. They climb up on the roof, and they start digging a hole. Now, put yourself in, in, the, in, the, in the shoes of the people who are sitting there. Some of them are going to get kind of annoyed because these guys are pushing and shoving and trying to get up towards the front. And those inside, when, the, when all the stuff starts falling down on them, they're getting a little bit annoyed as well. But if you kind of step back and look at it from the, from the perspective of some of the people who maybe had a little bit sense of humor, it's a pretty funny situation I mean, you've got these four guys, they're trying to bring this guy up on a ladder, they start you know, ripping through the roof and, and digging this hole, and then all of a sudden, you see them lowering this guy on a mat or on a stretcher and dropping him right down in front of Jesus, and they just had to get their friend to Jesus. They didn't care what anybody thought. They didn't care if they had to push people out of the way. They didn't care if they had to dig a hole in the roof. They needed to get their friend to Jesus. And so for some people it's annoying and for others it's just humorous. And you see this scene going on here and you got to wonder what is Jesus' reaction going to be when they drop this man right in front of him? Last Saturday, Ann and I and, and our daughter Christine decided we wanted to go into New York. Actually, we had, we had it planned for a little while. We wanted to go into New York, and we wanted to see a show, uh, and we, we had a lot of fun. We went to see Aladdin. Great show, if you've never seen it. Hilarious, amazing actor who plays uh, the genie. Just a lot of fun, and there were a lot of kids in the audience because it was a matinee. Everybody's laughing and enjoying themselves. But to get from Penn Station, we took the train, in to get from Penn Station to the theater, we decided we're going to walk through Times Square. Big mistake on the last Saturday afternoon of August, because, no exaggeration, the entire world decided that they were going to be in Times Square. They didn't care that we had to get to the theater. They didn't care that us getting to dinner on time would be more important than them getting to shake hands with Spider-Man or have their picture taken with whoever it was. all sorts of people there. I had only one time in my entire life seen it more crowded in New York City, and that was actually last fall. We went in for dinner, and we decided we wanted to go to a different restaurant for dessert. So we're walking along, we made a wrong turn, and we found ourselves right in the middle of the staging area for the Halloween parade, and there's like five million people there. And we decided we're going to go through to the other side because that's where we wanted to get. Only we messed up and realized that the other side was where the parade was actually going. So we decided to turn around. Have you ever felt like a salmon trying to swim upstream? I mean, that's what it was like with the crowd that day. And that's kind of what we felt like last Saturday as we're working our way through the crowd. And that's kind of what it must have been like for these guys as they're trying to get their friend to Jesus. But as we're walking through the crowd, we're seeing all these people. We're seeing, that you know, the people dressed up like Spider-Man and, and, and all the different characters, and we're seeing people selling different things, and we're seeing we're hearing, I don't know, a couple of dozen different languages. It was really cool just watching the different people kind of wondering, why are they in New York? Or do they live there? Probably not. They're tourists. Are they there to shop? You know, people going in and out of the stores. All the different things going on, and you could just feel the energy in the situation and i'm going back and forth between the frustration of trying to get to where i want to go but also just enjoying the energy of the crowd and every once in a while we would pass somebody who's holding up a sign you ever see the guys holding or the women holding up the signs you know that that say something like don't take the mark of the beast you know and they're holding up that sign or god is going to judge america for whatever the particular sin is that they were upset about that time. And then there's others who are a little bit more positive about it. Jesus is your Savior and He's your Lord, you know. Other ones saying turn or burn, you know, and then others. Jesus loves you. So you got all these people all over the place with these different signs. And I began to stop and ask myself and think, you know, what's really going on with them? What's motivating them to do that? And I've talked to enough different people who have done things like that, who have gone into New York City and held up signs or have gone, you know, down the street and handed, handed you a little brochure or a tract trying to, to, to convince you to think about Jesus and to talk about him with them. And, and so thinking about their motivations, I think some of them were there because they felt an obligation. They felt like it was something that they had to do in order to be a good Christian. And there's others of them who are there uh, probably because they're feeling guilty. If they don't do it, God is going to be mad at them. Or maybe there's some sort of a peer pressure kind of thing that's going on where uh, a bunch of people get together and they decide that this is the thing that we're going to do, and if you don't participate with us, then you're kind of, uh, of shunned by the group. But I know that there were other people who were doing that because they were genuinely concerned for the welfare of the people who were in New York City. And now I know, you know, it's probably not the most effective thing to stand blocking the crowd as they're trying to go down the sidewalk with these signs. And I always have mixed feelings when I see that because I, I admire their dedication, but I sometimes wonder if the, if the particular tactics, the particular approach they're, they're taking is the best possible thing. But stepping back and leaving that aside You got to admire their dedication because everybody is walking by them and they're looking in the other direction. They're kind of bumping up against them and no one is stopping and talking to them. And they've got to be really, really committed to what they're doing. And it made me think about the guys that were bringing their paralyzed friend to see Jesus. Because as they're doing that, everybody's either upset with them or they're laughing at them, or they're thinking, you know, what are these guys doing? They're carrying their friend. They're trying to hoist him up the ladder. They start digging a hole in the roof. They lower him down right in front of this rabbi who's supposed to be talking. What's going on with that? And I realized these guys cared so much for their friend, and they had such a strong faith such a strong belief that this guy's needs could be met only by bringing him to Jesus that they were willing to risk ridicule and everything else to get their friend to Jesus and notice how Jesus responds when they lower their friend right in front of him verse 5 when Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralyzed man son Your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, excuse me, um, can't you see I'm speaking here? Why don't you just kind of wait outside the door and I'll get to you when the whole thing's over? No, Jesus just looks at him and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And it's amazing to think that Jesus was willing to interrupt what he was doing, stop what he was saying, look at the guy and say i've forgiven your sins but of course there's got to be at least one in every crowd somebody who is not excited about what jesus has done and it's not just the owner of the house who's saying who's going to pay for my roof you know it's the religious leaders look at what jesus is saying and they're unbelievably upset at it they're not celebrating They're angry with Jesus because of what he said and because of what he's done. Verse 6, now some teachers of the law were sitting there. These are the the Jewish religious leaders. And they're thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, the Jewish religious leaders are upset because Jesus uh, forgave the guy's sins. And from their perspective, this is blasphemous. By saying your sins are forgiven, no ordinary man can do that. So by saying that your sins are forgiven, from their perspective, Jesus is effectively claiming to be God, and they're saying this is blasphemy. This is wrong. He's a rabbi. He's a man. He's a pretty good teacher, but he's not supposed to be saying things like that because only God can say that, and there is no way that this rabbi can be God. But watch how Jesus responds to what they say. Immediately, verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? And I love the irony here, because you see, they're challenging whether Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, but they're not actually saying it. They're just thinking in their hearts. They're thinking in their minds. Who is this guy to say that he can forgive their sins? They're not saying anything, but Jesus knows exactly what's going on in their minds, exactly what they're thinking. Only God can do that. So right there... Just by saying to them, I know what you're thinking, he's actually beginning to respond to their challenge of, who are you to forgive this man's sins? Because only God can do that. Who am I to forgive their sins? I'm the one that knows that you're thinking that, even though you're not saying it. And so then he asks them this brilliant question, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? if you stop and think about it for a minute, on the surface, it's a whole lot easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody can prove that it hasn't happened, right? I can say your sins are forgiven and there's absolutely no way that you can prove that God has not forgiven your sins. And so it's pretty easy for somebody to say that. It's actually pretty difficult for it to actually be true, but it's a lot easier to say that. Whereas if you say get up take up your mat and walk you're healed that one can be proven wrong so it's easier to say that your sins are forgiven but it's a whole lot more difficult to actually physically heal somebody doctors can heal some people there were people in those days from time to time who would be healed So the brilliance of Jesus' question is that it can be looked at from two different perspectives. From one perspective, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. But from another perspective, it's a whole lot more difficult to actually pull that off. And that's the brilliance of Jesus' question to them. And so as they're sitting there, as they're thinking about this, watch what Jesus does. He says... But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I want you to know that I, Jesus often refers to himself as the Son of Man, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he looks at the man and he says, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And the man got up, he took his mat, he walked out in full view of them. And this amazed everybody. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this see they thought jesus was bluffing they thought okay he's just saying i can forgive sins if he were really god he would do something to prove that he could forgive their sins and that's exactly what he did no ordinary man could do that only god could take someone like that who was paralyzed and just simply by speaking to him Command him to stand up and walk. And so the guy gets up. He picks up his mat. He walks and he leaves. And everybody looks and they're saying, who is this guy? He's no ordinary man. Who is it that's able to heal people like this? And Jesus' point is, I'm not just an ordinary man. Yes, I am a man. But I'm so much more than that. And he proves it. By healing that man. He's beginning to show them that he's God incarnate, the one who came from heaven to earth to meet their deepest needs, not just their needs for physical healing, though often he does do that, but also really their deeper needs, their emotional needs, their spiritual needs, and ultimately their need to be reconciled, to be restored uh, to a right relationship with their creator, with the one who made them with the one who sent him from heaven to earth. And that's why the people were so amazed at what Jesus has done. I wanna go back a few verses to, to verse five to take a look at something that we, that we kind of skipped over. We glossed over it very quickly, but it, this, this uh, what's something that's going on here in verse five just blows me away every time I see what's happening here. Look what happens. Mark says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus doesn't look at the man and see his faith. He looks at the man's friends and he sees their faith. And then he turns to the man and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. They cared about their friend's need. They were willing to do everything that they could to get him to Jesus. Crowd's too, too busy there, too many people. If it were me, I would've turned around. I would've waited on the side, maybe. Or I would've said, let's come back another time. Let's come back tonight when Jesus is done speaking. Maybe we can make an appointment with him and come and see him later or I would have waited until after he was done speaking, until the crowd had dispersed. These guys know, we got to get this guy to Jesus. We can't take any chances that he's going to be leaving because we don't know when he's going to be back the next time. So they say, forget that. We're going up on the roof, digging a hole, dropping them down in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at them. He sees their faith in him, and he heals their friend. And that's, to me... That's incredible because what Mark is saying here is that our faith in God, our belief in him, our trust in him can make a difference in the lives of the people around us. And Jesus honors their faith and heals this man and forgives his sins. And you know, people have all sorts of different motivations for telling other people about Jesus or for inviting them to church. Or for praying for them and you know and so as we were saying with the with the people with the signs in New York City sometimes we do it because we feel guilty right you know pastor stands up there and says you should tell your friends about Jesus you should invite your friends to church you should pray for your friends you should find a book and give it to them you should Point them to a video on the internet that's going to tell them about Jesus. All sorts of different ways in which we can tell about tell people about Jesus. And sometimes we feel like it's an obligation. We feel guilty if we don't do it. These guys didn't feel an obligation. They didn't feel guilty. They felt love. They felt compassion. They realized what kind of need their friend was in. And they looked and they see Jesus as ultimately his only hope. And so they did what it took to get their friend to Jesus. And as I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded again and again and again that when I really believe that Jesus is the one who can meet my deepest needs, and when I really believe that He's the one who can meet the deepest needs of my friends and my neighbors and my coworkers and the people I go to school with and and on and on, all the people in my life, when I really believe that Jesus is the one who can meet our deepest needs, then I'm gonna wanna tell people about him. I'm gonna wanna share my faith with them. I'm gonna want to, and on and on, whether it's invite them to church, or give them a book, pray for them, whatever it might be, I'm gonna want to do that. I'm not gonna feel obligated. I'm gonna feel excited to do that, just like this guy's friends were eager and excited to bring him to Jesus. And so as we think about how we are going to take this this week and kind of uh, apply it to our lives, how can this make a difference in our lives, not just as we're sitting here and thinking about it and walking away, but how can it make a difference in our lives on a day-to-day basis throughout this week and really as we go forward from here? Let me make a suggestion to you. This is something uh, that my wife Anne used to do when she would meet with the college students when we were chaplains at Princeton. She would encourage them to have a list of three people who they were praying for every day praying that god would work in their hearts show them their need for jesus turn them to himself and bring them to real faith in jesus christ as their lord and savior and so that's something i want to suggest that you do think of three people in your life who you know need Jesus. Maybe it's someone who is really hurting. They're going through an incredibly difficult time and they need to find comfort or hope or peace in Jesus. Maybe it's somebody who's sick and they need healing. Pray that God will heal them, but pray even more importantly than that, that they'll turn to Him and look to Him for that encouragement, for that grace to to continue on when maybe the physical pain is so difficult that they, they, they wonder how they, they can keep on living. Or maybe you're thinking of a, of a person who just doesn't know who Jesus is and they need to find forgiveness and hope and healing and peace in him. Think of those three people who you care enough about that you wanna see them come to Jesus. And then make a list, write down their names, put it in a place where you're gonna see it every day and pray for them every day, and there's three things I want to encourage you to pray for them. First, pray that they would recognize their need. Pray that they would see that they need Jesus and that He is ultimately the one who can meet their deepest needs. And then secondly, pray that they would turn to Jesus, because there's some people who recognize that they've got a need for Jesus, but they don't feel like they're good enough. Pray that they would take that step and that they would turn to Jesus, that they would look to him, that they'd, if they need to, that they'd ask him for forgiveness, that they'd ask him for peace, that they'd ask him for hope, that they'd ask him for strength, that they'd ask him for grace, that they wouldn't be too proud, that they wouldn't be too afraid, but that they'd be willing to turn to Jesus. And then the third thing, ask God, God, how do you want to use me in this person's life? How do you want to use me in their life? Maybe for a long period of time, all it is is praying for them. Do it. Pray for them every day. But maybe the day is going to come when God prompts you and says, hey, you know what? Need to go and have a conversation with that person. Or maybe the circumstances are going to arise that someday they're going to say to you, hey, what did you do this weekend? And you're going to say, well, I went to church. And you tell them about what was going on in church and you say, hey, why don't you come with me to church next week and check it out and see what it's like? Because I found something there. I found Jesus at my church, and I think he could be helpful to you as well. So why don't you come with me to that? Or or maybe you're going to be reading a book or watching a video, and and it's going to come to your mind, and you're going to say, hey, you know what? This book or this video could be really helpful to my friend. If God prompts you in that way, go ahead and do that. If he doesn't, okay, fine. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel obligated to do it. But honestly, ask and pray and say, God, How do you want to use me in this person's life? But then do one more thing. You got those three names, those three friends, those three relatives, those three co-workers, those three neighbors, those three people who you are bringing to Jesus in prayer. But then add a fourth name to that list, whether you put it at the top, whether you put it at the bottom. Put your name on that list as well. Because all of us, whether we've been a follower of Christ for decades or whether this whole thing about Jesus and Christianity is new to us, all of us need Him. All of us need to turn to Him every day. Really, and we sing about this so often every moment of every day, we need Him to enable us to live our lives, to, to make it through the challenges and the difficulties of our day. We need Him... To give us that assurance that because of what he's done we've been reconciled we've been restored uh, to a right relationship with our creator because honestly if if i don't really think that jesus makes a difference in my own life i'm not going to be telling my friends i'm not going to be praying for my neighbors i'm not going to be thinking that he's going to make a difference in other people's lives but the more i appreciate what he's done for me the more i'm going to be excited like those four guys were To bring my friends and my neighbors and my co-workers and my relatives to Jesus my faith your faith our faith can have a direct effect on the lives of the people around us God has given us the privilege of participating in in his plan to restore his creation to redeem his creation to reconcile this broken this hurting this lost world to him and one piece of that is thinking of the needs of our loved ones of our friends of our neighbors and bringing them to jesus in prayer and so what i want us to do now is just take a minute or two and close your eyes and just pray if you've got one two three people in your mind already pray those three things that i was saying Pray that they would recognize their need. Pray that they would turn to God and ask Him to show you how He might use you in their lives. If you don't have somebody, if, there's, if God hasn't brought someone to your mind, pray that He would. Ask Him to bring somebody to your mind so that you be- can begin that list. But then also, take just a little bit of time and pray for yourself. Ask God to help you to see how much you need Him. Ask Him to help you to turn to Him and ask Him to help you to know what next step is you need to take in order to grow in your relationship with Him. Let's just pray silently ourselves for a minute or two and then I'll close this in prayer in just a minute. Let's pray. Father, I thank You uh, for recording for us in, in Mark's gospel uh, this story of, of these four guys who loved their friends so much, who had such a strong faith in Jesus that they were willing to do whatever they could, whatever they needed to do uh, to bring their friend to Jesus. I thank you that you, Lord Jesus, that you honored their faith and you forgave their friend's sins and you, and, and you healed him. And I thank you for the privilege that you give us uh, of participating in what you're doing by bringing our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones to you. And, and, and I pray for myself, I pray for all of us, that we would, every day that we would be praying for the people around us who need you, that we would be bringing them to you in that way and asking that you would work in their hearts and their lives, that they might come to a real faith in you. And I pray that as we do that, that you would show us if and how you'd have us participate in that, whether it's talking with them whether it's bringing them to church whether it's sharing a book or a video or whatever it might be with them show us help us to do that out of desire not not duty help us to do it out of love and compassion i pray as well for myself and for each of us that we would gain a deeper appreciation for how much we need you and for how much you love us and for the incredible gift that you've given to us by sacrificing yourself lord jesus So that we could be reconciled with you and with our heavenly father we thank you and we praise you in jesus name amen if you've come up with a list of people and you want somebody to uh, pray with you feel free to shoot me an email uh, clay at wrenchurch.com and i would love to pray for the people that are on your list and i'll pray for them You pray for them, and then we can talk and see in the coming days and weeks and months and see uh, what God has been doing and how He's been working in their lives. If you want to pray with me or talk with me for a couple minutes right now after the service, I'd love to do that as well. I'll be hanging out up front. Uh, Thanks, you guys, for coming out, and I hope that you have a wonderful week.